0: Let me tell you a story, a quick one, before the main event. This is the story of a sin that can't ever be forgiven. This is the story of one who would never seek any such forgiveness. You see, once upon a time, there was a boy named Isaac, growing up hard on an island of high mountains. Isaac lived alone with his mother as his father was unseen and unnamed. There had been a daughter once upon some other time, but Isaac never met her, and her name was as unwelcome in the home he shared with his mother as a fart in church. Much of Isaac's early life was spent in the fields, side by side with his mother. They cut sugar cane, though there was less and less work as time went on. They could have spoken to one another, but they did not. They could have shared stories, compared scars. They could have found grace and shared humanity, a deeper kind of kinship in their struggles and their longings, but they did not. At night, she drank, and when she drank, she hit and slapped and screamed. When she did not drink, She did not seem to regard her son at all. Her eyes, like smooth brown stones, would flick past his face as if Isaac was not even there. From a very young age, Isaac came to believe that she hated him. Not long after, he began to hate her as well. They could have passed forever that way linked together in unspoken resentment. But for the stories Isaac heard from the other boys about the world beyond the island of high mountains, they spoke of towers of glass that extended higher than even the clouds. There was more food than you could ever hope to eat, more women than you could ever hope to know, and more money than you could ever hope to spend. Isaac joined with other boys in an escape plan But whereas they all took pains to keep their flight secret from their families, Isaac flaunted his forthcoming departure in front of his mother. He made sure she knew that he would soon be gone and that she had never factored into his thoughts. The night was hot and heavy with storm when he packed his few belongings and made for the door. She was sitting in her favorite and only chair her expression just as blank as it always was in the sober hours. Isaac had spent hours trying to come up with a perfect kiss offline, the kind that would bury deep and twist painfully during all the lonely hours to come. But nothing had seemed just right, so he settled for walking out without a single backwards glance. She spoke then, just as he was one foot out the door. I didn't know, she said. I was asleep, sound asleep. She'd been sick for days and was sick still, her moans following me in my sleep. His voice was so gentle, so kind. He asked if he could take my baby. He said he'd show her wonderful things. I was tired and sick. And I didn't hear the yes until it was gone. And so was she. Isaac stared. No idea what he was supposed to say or do. I'm leaving, he said at last. I'm not coming back. Her smooth brown eyes found him in the dark. Good, she said. But remember to be afraid of their eyes. Their glowing red eyes. You must always be afraid. And he always was. Her words followed him wherever he went. Twisting painfully in the lonely hours. As years fell past like flower petals. He grew accustomed to always being emotion to always being on the run, until one day, he ran all the way to the city beneath the black sun. Don't talk, just listen. Wonder and danger. Black Sun Dispatches on the Cinefunks Podcast Network. Uh, they, they are not what they claim to be. Jackie awoke from an uneasy sleep. Looking around her current sleeping quarters, she had to laugh at the idea that there was such a thing as an easy sleep anymore. Five months since the kaiju steps laid much of the city low, the survivors made do as best they could, their meager resources of gas and electricity were depleted almost to the point of nonexistence. Fortunately the nights were still warm, but the first tendrils of autumn were beginning to announce themselves breathing down your neck when you least expected it. Jackie wasn't sure what would happen when the true cold set in, when the wind sank crooked fangs of ivory deep into your flesh, and the snow fell and fell. Actually, she reconsidered, she did know what would happen. She pulled herself clear of the mass of slumbering bodies atop the roof and crossed to the building's edge. It was just before dawn beneath the black sun and the lights of the mammic rays keep still shimmering like diamonds down a deep mine. Yes, it was patently clear what would happen when pangs of desperate hunger set blue lips chattering. The tension that had for so long been simmering between them inside and them out would at last explode. They would hurl their bodies at the walls, the living clamoring over the mounting dead until their own bodies raised the platform that little bit higher. Not that it made any difference they would have any chance. McRae's keep would remain sealed, and those paltry few survivors still outside would be relegated to eking out some kind of living in the tunnels and forgotten corners of this blasted world. Gloom is addictive, and like other addictions, it has a knack for uniting its supplicants. Perhaps it was this, or perhaps it was chance perhaps only happenstance that led Jackie to glance down at just that moment. One second earlier or later, she would have been presented with only a blank street slowly filling up with weird light as the black sun rose. But she looked down a second too early, or a second too late. Some dead person, or some person we presume to be dead, once remarked that everything happens at exactly the right time. And so it was that Jackie glanced down just in time to see two figures chasing each other down the sidewalk. In that weird glow of the early morning, she could see the reflection of the blade in the pursuing figure's hand. The one being chased darted down an alley, followed closely by the one doing the chasing. Jackie turned from the rooftop and looked for her bedspread. Her best bet, she knew was to lie back down, doze, and then rise again with the rest of her roof mates, relegating the sight of the chase to harmless phantoms, something to puzzle over and wonder at, but only in a passive, distant manner. The concern she suddenly felt came as a surprise. Over six years made the Black Sun, not to mention the over thirty that she wore under her belt before the city fell, had long since taught her that concern was wasted energy, but gloom is often all-consuming. When something breaks through that suffocation, even the smallest feeling can strike you like lightning. Quite unwillingly, Jackie discovered that she actually gave a shit. She did go to her bedspread, but not to lie back down. Instead, she sifted through scattered sheets until her hand settled on the cold of the 12 inches of steel she kept as a constant bedfellow, lest some of these other fellows think to climb into her bed. The activity caused Paul C, the guy who slept next to Jackie's own spot, to come blinking into waking. But by the time his eyes focused up, where she had been there remained only open air. Isaac stared at the creature as it writhed against the machete blade. Fully half the machete was embedded in the faded brick wall at the end of the alley. The creature had attempted to scale the wall, only for an errant brick to come loose against its weight, depositing the creature back to the ground. It rose, and this was when Isaac struck, hurling his machete with both hands while in midstride The heavy blade turning end over end before striking the creature square in the skull, momentum carrying it further still. The creature's clawed hand fumbled at the machete's grip. Isaac slapped away the feeble limb and took hold of the grip himself. He twisted the blade just so. Just enough the creature squirmed and spasmed, all motor function lost. He noted that to any passive observer, It must seem like he was torturing some random man. After all, the creature's basic shape was human, as was its worn jeans, its ratty sneakers, and its gray sweatshirt which it wore with the hood up. For all Isaac knew, until tonight, this had, in fact, been a normal human. Or maybe the poor wretch had been taken by the spirit long ago, reduced to nothing but a skin puppet for a malevolent beast. I will set you free, Isaac thought. I'll watch the red die from your eyes and know my cause was right. He reached for the hood, meaning to pull it back and expose the creature's visage. But right as his hand touched fabric, the creature froze in its mewling and seemed to notice something behind him. Isaac turned. As we have said, We did not come up with that line about everything happening in its proper time. That was some lady, probably dead, from Australia, we think. While it's a concept that requires a good deal more study, the anecdotal examples can be enough to convince you that at least some things are indeed quote unquote meant. Though, what the meaning behind such intentions are, that's anyone's guess. For example, If Isaac had not turned his head at that exact moment, Jackie's knife would have greedily sunk into the heavy meat of his skull. As is, it bopped him hard on the nose. Isaac flopped to the pavement where his ribs were immediately greeted by the interloper's boot. Asshole! The woman hissed. Gasping for air, he clutched at her pant leg as she stepped over him. She stomped hard on his fingers. Isaac writhed on the ground, burning brush fires of agony blazing in his lungs, his face, his hands. Through the crimson veil running into his eyes, Isaac watched the woman step towards the pin creature. He tried to cry out. He tried to warn her. He tried to somehow compress years of the dull agony of loneliness but the muted pain that comes when it becomes clear that the horror of your life will not abate any time soon. This pain had been lodged in his heart like a splinter, stuck there since before he was born, and here at last, he was a responsible party, to come so close and to be robbed now, seconds before triumph. He tried to place this all into one voice, one sound, but the gurgling moan that left his lips impressed no one. Jackie ignored him and went to what she thought was the victim. She saw the blade and knew the situation was hopeless. Hey, she said, trying for something warm in her voice. Hey, hey, what's your name? Jackie pushed the hood back. Glowing red eyes lunged towards her. Jackie threw herself backwards, landing hard on the pavement beside Isaac. The creature behind the hood bared its adder fangs at her, moisture dripping from the wicked tips of the massive teeth. The shape of the creature's face resembled a snake, but tufts of discolored fur grew in spaces between the scales. Its head! Isaac wheezed. You must cut off its head! Adjusting quick. Jackie jumped her feet and sprang towards the machete, but the creature got there first. It bore down on the machete, driving its head deeper down the blade. In its screams was agony, yes, and rage, oh my, yes, but there was also within it defiance. For one brief instant before the machete halved its head, The creature's eyes met Isaac's. In those eyes, he saw triumph. The skull gave. Disused meat fell leaking to the ground. Jackie did not even have time to register that the corpse on the ground was now nothing more than an ordinary man, for as soon as the body fell with a wet thud, a crimson cloud swarmed out of the ruins of the head. A question formed on her lips, but would never be asked, for the cloud swept past those lips, plunged up her nose and into her ears. Still coughing, Isaac sat up. He watched impassive as Jackie's body stretched and shivered. When the red eyes opened once more, he met them without flinching. Next time, he said. Soon, the creature that had once been Jackie, again showed its teeth. Though whether this was a grin or a warning, Isaac could not have said. And then, it was gone. Somewhere in the Grey's Keep, a woman lies on her couch, wishing away the wails of her baby. She has not slept for 72 hours, and neither has her baby. But that does not claim the child's cry, oh no. It grows harsher, it seems more ragged. But the volume never, ever, relents. The mother presses her hands to her forehead and wishes for something, anything, to relieve this nightmare and let her sleep. There is no pop, there is no whoosh, there is only a sudden certainty. The mother opens her eyes and is at once certain that she has woken into sleep there is a creature standing over her, a creature with red eyes and a smile that goes on for a very, very long time. Your baby, it begins, may I have it? She is certain that this is a dream and so it can't really matter how she answers, can it? The creature's scaled hide glitters like emeralds. She reaches up and feels its cold solidity. The mother looks up into those red, red eyes, and she does not know her answer until it is already gone. Hey everybody, thank you for listening to this new episode of Black Sun Dispatches. Uh, sorry this one was delayed, but uh, life crap happened. Uh, Black Sun Dispatches is part of the Cinepunks Podcast Network. Uh, my name is Brandon Foley, and I produce, and perform the show. Uh, this is only one of a ton of other great shows uh, that, have been, that are part of the Cinepunks Network, including the Cinepunks Podcast itself, Loud Fast Philly, Horror Business, The Mandate. We just added another really cool one called Wine and Cheese wine, W-H-I-N-E and cheese like well, like cheese Cinepunks and all its programming is sponsored by Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations which you can hit up at xlvacx.com again that's Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations at xlvacx.com I actually just got got a whole bunch of clothing from them as part of our kind of Cinepunks programming Uh, it's really comfy and looks really cool so uh, I'm better than you so if you wanna be as good as me, again, you need to go out and buy clothing from Lehigh Valley Creations. Uh, it's up to you. If you wanna be a sponsor of Black Sun Dispatches and other cinepunks programming, uh, please support our Patreon, which you can find on our website. If you like the show, please rate and review us on iTunes. It's a huge, huge help. Uh, so please get on that. You can follow me on Twitter at the True F. You can follow the show on Twitter at Black Sun Show. Black Sun Dispatches logo was designed by Jeffrey Rogers. And the music is Winter by E.L. Heath. So we'll be back in exactly one week with Red Eyes Part 2. I hope to see you guys there, and I hope you really, really like the new episode. Uh, Until then, uh, I'm Brian Foley, and this has been Black Sun Dispatches. Have a good one, guys. Bye.